Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. Would you say taboo to a goose? <laughs> uh, maybe from behind a protective shield or wall or something like that. Ooh, yeah, you could get really torn apart by... They're goose, like couldn't you? tiny dinosaurs. Not even mm-hmm. that small. That you know, they're scary. If you look at their feet... Mm-hmm. Imposing dinosaurs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the park I walked through on the way to work, there are um, three very territorial herons, and they do move around like raptors, kind of sneaking up on each other and things like that. Wow. It's quite scary. They could do some damage with those beaks as well. Yeah, yeah. A serious graze. Yeah. Why did you ask me that, Frank? <laughs> well, the, the attentive listener would have heard I said to boo to a goose, not boo to a goose, which is obviously a complete... Uh, failure to get the expression correct but that's because we want to talk about the taboo list on this episode and for listeners who don't know about this and there's probably plenty who aren't completely up to speed with this on the most recent faq which came out last month there was a new part of the the faq which was the list of taboos so if you want to hear us talk about that what we think about it stay tuned because that's what this episode is going to be about where should we start so let's begin just very briefly describing what the list is for, and then we'll talk about go through the list in a little bit of detail, not too much, because people can just read it. It's not very long, though. My explanation would be, my one-line pitch would be, since the game started, we're now uh, several cycles deep, more cards have come out. Usually at this point, it becomes some of the earlier decisions in terms of the power level of the cards. The cards can be a bit above the curve in terms of how Mm -hmm. good they are. And this taboo list is a way for the designer, Matt, to address that and just to tweak the balance of those cards to bring everything a bit more in line. And that's good for reasons we'll talk about a bit later. But first of all, should we look at the list itself? Yeah, let's dive in with the list. There's one tiny thing I want to say, which is that the list is optional. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it in terms of adopting it. But if everything you hear makes you think, God, I'd never want that, that's okay. <laughs> just I just want to get that out there early on. It's optional. Yeah, Matt's gone to great uh, lengths to stress that you don't have to use this. If it's not something that's going to be more fun for you, just don't do it. You can use your cards exactly as they're printed and not worry about any of this. So the list itself, there are three separate sections on the list. There are limited cards, there are mutated cards, and there are forbidden cards. At the moment, the forbidden section is very straightforward because there aren't any. It's a place that Matt could put cards in future if he wants to, to give you a challenge that, say, you're not allowed to use emergency cash, say, if that was a card that was becoming seriously problematic, or any other card that's super powerful and that people don't want. Right, where do you want to go to next? Limited or mutated? Let's do limited first, because that's the most, uh, in a way, that's the most straightforward. So these cards have essentially had an experience cost added to them. So their level remains the same, but the experience spent to include the card in your deck is changed, altered. And this additional experience should also be taken into account when upgrading to or from a card that is on this list. Okay. The first card is Machete. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want me to just keep going? Well, I mean, we we can talk about each one specifically. So Machete has gone to two experience. Yeah. Zero to two. Yeah, so it's still a level zero card. So, for example, Jenny could still take the card uh, as, as one of her out-of-action cards. It just costs two experience now. Mm-hmm. So Machete is probably the most controversial addition to the list, I think, mm-hmm. because it's a level one, a level zero card everyone's been using since the core. Yeah. And just a staple of so many decks. You know, you, you'd start a Guardian deck that wanted weapons... Machete is maybe the baseline weapon you put in first. Yeah. And most weapons probably don't, even after some experience, don't compare that well to Machete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the time, it's just a straight up two damage. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I said I wouldn't. I'm getting into the details of the actual card here. <laughs> That's all right. That's um, all right. But it, it, I just want to stress to people, it was a this was a card that lots and lots of decks used we need um, yeah. one of our listeners, Andy. He he put together a list of the most common cards, I think. Mm. What she did is had a look at that and see where Machete sits on the list. It's up there. It's in the top 20. Yeah. 
So suddenly you're looking elsewhere for weapons when you start building a Guardian deck. Yeah, and I just... I That final point is the point that's the one that's important for me. I can't remember the last time someone talked about a Guardian deck and didn't explain either why or why they hadn't included Machete. So the whole debate around weapons in Guardian was warped around this one card. It wasn't, which weapon shall I use? There's the Colt, there's the 45. Oh, maybe I'll use this Machete card. It was always... If you weren't using Machete, you had to explain why. Or if you were using Machete, you'd maybe justify it in saying, like, I know everyone uses Machete, but in this sense, you know. So, yeah, that's, you can, all of the discussion around weapons was seen through the lens of Machete. It's interesting to me that it's made it onto the list as a result. Okay, the second card is Elusive, another core set card, a rogue event, and it's also gained 2 XP. Yep. Uh, then we've got Switchblade level 2. Hmm. This is listed in the list as having a single dot, but just want to stress what that means is it gets one extra dot from what it had before. So Switchblade level 2 is now 3 experience. Mm-hmm. Which again, just to remind people, that means someone like Leo can still take this. Uh, it does still cost him 3 experience though. Yeah. So yeah, those off-class 0 to 2 investigators are still able to take it but they're just taxed a little bit more xp which is uh i I think if i'd got you to guess what would end up on the limited list switchblade level two wouldn't have been one of your cards is that a fair no no i I think there is a reason for it which we'll we'll come to later Mm -hmm. but yeah i I wouldn't have picked it out the air as a card that was in desperate need of some extra experience Mm -hmm. Mm, i agree okay then we've got a couple of big ones right (laughs) Yeah. So we've got Higher Education, which has gained five experience. Mm-hmm. So it's now eight experience to put Higher Education in your deck. Yeah. As expensive as the Gold Pocket Watch. Uh, yeah, quite. And then do you want to tell us what the next card is? The next card, very similar change. It's Streetwise, the rogue permanent talent from Dunwich. And that's also gained five XP. So it's also now eight cost to put it in your deck. And then... Just briefly, the last card on the list is Scrapper, which is the Survivor uh, permanent uh, talent. And that's gained yeah. two experience, so it's now five. Okay. So there's maybe something worth discussing in the fact that three of the permanent stat-boosting talents have ended up on this list. Mm-hmm. And as you noted before we begun, before we began rather, all of these cards are from either the core set, Machete and Elusive, or from the first cycle in the game from the Dunwich Legacy. So they're from early in the game's life. Yeah, yeah, and probably not, uh, probably to be expected, rather. Mm -hmm. Um, Just while Matt's getting his head around the cards, what's powerful, what isn't. It was on our podcast, or Mythos Busters, he said the first day a pack's out, it's been played far more than they've ever had a chance to play it. Mm. Yeah, no, it was was on our Forgotten Age interview at that point. So, you know, he can only play so much. You know, if he spent all of his time playing the game, he would maybe approach the amount that, that uh, you know, other people have done it. Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's the limited list. So those are all... They work... The cards work exactly like they say on the card. It's just in the deck building stage, they cost extra experience to put into your deck. Mm-hmm. Which is a nice change, because you don't have to remember anything during the game. Yeah. And what I will say is that either already implemented, I think, in Arkham DB. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can select the taboo list as your deck building. And it just does that for you. And it does that for you automatically, so you don't even have to think about it. Mm. Yeah. So the people who are going to suffer the most, the people who don't build their decks on Arkham DB, or indeed use any deck builder, and are left having to have this document open, as <laughs> yeah. well as looking at other things, and that could be, I, I imagine, somewhat frustrating... I'm the kind of player who has a good-ish sense of what I want to do and the upgrades I want to take anyway, so I don't spend too long stressing about that. But I think if you're the kind of person who really likes to lay out all the possible options, it could be a little bit frustrating to go, oh yeah, and I'll take higher ed for three and then have to remember it's eight. Okay, well, the next section, so the last section of the list is the mutated section, and cards on this list have additional or altered text as described below. And what's important here is that these cards aren't being issued in erratum. They're, or issued errata, because there are multiple cards. They're having a change made to them 
if you want to use the taboo list. But if you don't, they still function the same as they always functioned. So yeah. it's sort of a like halfway house between changing the card permanently. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just briefly, what I would I would describe two forms of errata as functional errata and balance errata. So functional will be a change to how a card works because it's not working as intended. Mm-hmm. or it creates something fundamentally broken. And we've seen that a couple of times so far yeah. in Arkham. The yeah, Lucky, Lucky, Lucky Dice, Dice yeah, example, and yeah. actually the Golden Pocket Watch as well didn't work quite like it was supposed to, so there was a there was errata for that as well. Mm-hmm. Balance errata just changes how powerful a card is without necessarily hugely altering how it works. So whether this is limiting how many times a card works, limiting how many you can have in your deck... Mm-hmm you know, making it unique. Um, these are all things that can be done, which are relatively straightforward changes to the card, just to put a cap on how good they are. Mm. And as you go through the list, you'll see that that's pretty much, that applies to every single one on this list, I think. It's just a, just a, a limit to how many times you can use the card. Yeah, you think about something like, say, Well Connected, that has limit one in play per investigator, which is a the, the the cost of that card could have been six instead and not have the limit or the cost of the card could have been zero but it cost two xp so there are various tools available to matt to try and control the power of a certain card or restrict it being abused in certain situations by players and it feels like this mutated list uh, more way more sort of tweaks in that vein so yeah let's look at the list yeah and and this this might change as well this is and i know some people when a card is errated uh they want a replacement card but because this is a balance list it might change in the future the cards might come on might go off so mm. you know even the the nature of the change to the card might change yeah yeah and i'm, I'm thinking of hearthstone now actually i don't want to get too bogged down into the bigger picture discussion but in hearthstone with every patch and with every release they can change cards and change the strength of cards and Players for a digital game are comfortable with the idea that the stats and the power of certain cards might shift as the game develops. Obviously, we're not playing a digital game, so it's a lot harder to tweak on the fly the strength of certain cards. And you have to provide a list like this to encourage people to adopt if you want to do that kind of thing, I suppose. Anyway, uh, so the first card is Dr. Milan Christopher. I think I've heard of that. Uh, a seeker ally, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be good, actually. Really? Yeah, I should try. I should try okay. him. Okay. So his a bit his reaction ability now reads: after you successfully investigate, exhaust Doctor Milan Christopher, gain one resource. So rather than getting a resource every time you successfully investigate, Milan is now once per turn. Well, he exhausts. So if you have good ways of unexhausting him, you mm-hmm. can still benefit from him multiple times but largely he's going to be once a turn okay i can't wait for your inspiring presence well i mean you laugh don't you but (laughs) maybe maybe in pete or something like that yeah or in pete yeah chuck cards to ready yeah your heady three intellect maybe or maybe (laughs) in uh in roland or joe maybe that's what you really want to do yes okay rex murphy so is that an ally (laughs) <laughs> Rex Murphy is an investigator. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. This card's reaction ability gains limit once per round. Again, in a move surprising no one, I would imagine. Okay. Rex can only be he can only gain an extra clue once per turn per round. In fact, per round. Yeah. Uh, which Have you is got fair cunning ways of getting around this one, though, Peter? Don't think so. Okay. Get a stubborn detective. And then <laughs> there's no <laughs> limit at all. <laughs> yeah, and no ability. Yeah. Okay, very good. The next card is Delve Too Deep. And this card gains group limit two copies of Delve Too Deep in the victory display. So no longer the four mystic eight delves in the victory yeah. display play. So two things about this. I, I don't think anyone was really expecting this to be added to this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it now it's on it, you can see actually that is reasonable. Yeah. Secondly, I think you can still play Delve Too Deep, but it doesn't go into the victory display. Oh. Would you agree okay. with me? 
good. I hadn't even thought that far. I had been much more rational and thought there's no point playing more than two across your party. But so you could, and everyone would still draw an encounter card, and then it would say, then add Delta too deep to the victory display. And if there were already two in there, you just wouldn't be able to do that bit of it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gre- grief reigns. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the next card is quick thinking. This card gains max one committed per skill test. So a little bit like unexpected courage or things like that. Yeah, yeah. Quick thinking gives you a bonus action if you succeed the skill test by two or more. Mm -hmm. And it's got a single wild icon. Yeah. So this stops you stacking up and getting... And and in fact, quick thinking can give you actions outside your turn as well. Yes, it can. So it can start doing kind of weird stuff, especially when you throw in things like double or nothing. Yeah, and if you're boosting with Streetwise as well, which is on the limited list, you can yeah. be six, eight over the threshold of the test and more or less guarantee getting two more actions or four more actions if you've doubled it. Yeah. Then there's Ace in the Hole. This card has gained max once per round. Ace in yeah. the Hole gives you three more actions when you play it. I've got a theory that extra action cards will either be are all going to be limited somehow. Either a, a remove from the game or, a, a, you know, a, a round limit yeah. once per round. I'm always surprised that Ace in the Hole isn't removed from the game. Mm. I always, whenever someone plays it, and then I'm like, oh, then it's removed from the game. And they're like, no. <laughs> no, now I loot my deck. Yeah. And li- a little sort of insight to that, there's a there's a way you can use Ace in the Hole or Quick Thinking to... You, it takes a lot of setup first. You need to more or less empty your deck and have things in play or things in your hand, but you can then go infinite and essentially keep looping your deck. Uh, the actions that Ace in the Hole keeps generating you allow you to just... I think you get into a point where you get two spare actions every turn, even with the looping. Wow. So at that point, then, you don't have to take any tests because you just say, well, I'll take this test until I pull the pass I need. As long as there aren't penalties for tests, obviously, and things like that. There's a Jenny deck on Arkham DB at the moment that's called Going Infinite. That I'm not sure if it's the best write-up explaining that. The the better explanation was a Rita uh, Reddit thread that explained it. Anyway, exactly as you say, extra actions are so important in this game. The the unit of action is such a vital part of capping what investigators can and can't achieve in a turn. And anything that allows you to warp that is potentially game-breaking. Okay, then we have Sleight of Hand, which uh, this card's now ability this card's ability now reads, rather, put an item asset that takes fewer than two hand slots into play from your hand. So there's no more slighting Chicago typewriters in play, which I know was upsetting for you, Frank. Yeah, typewriter. And also I'd just been playing a Jenny Slight 45 Thompson deck. Which is great fun. Whip it out, machine guns and witches, put it back in its holster. Yeah, very sad. It may be frustrating, but maybe it's a it's a theme win. <laughs> yeah, I I wondered about this. Do you think do you think there was a problem, or do you think it was just that being able to slide out a two handed weapon that was very powerful was was too powerful? Yeah, it it was maybe limiting the space for two-handed weapons so you couldn't play something that had a really big effect it was just it was just overbalancing the, the that that card those so mm-hmm. only two cards then you've got a lightning gun and a sleight of hand yeah that's nine damage you're essentially yeah for one as resource close, yeah as closely guaranteed to doing as one can get um and it's really easy to set up it's not like it's a five-card combo or anything like that. It's literally, I've got the weapon, I've got sleight of hand, and I'm away. Let's go, yeah. So I'll be switching my Jenny deck to, I don't know, Derringers, or maybe just <laughs> no longer using slight because it doesn't work as well. Yeah, there we go. And then finally, there's the Key of Ys, which is another Path to Carcosa card, like sleight of hand. And this card gains the exceptional keyword, which means it's limit one per deck, and it costs twice the printed XP. So instead of costing 5 XP, it costs 10 XP. Yeah, this is that's not a surprising change, really. I think a lot of people were surprised it wasn't exceptional already. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's a really good card. <laughs> and getting two of them for 10 experience is great. So it's going to limit how easily that combo can be used mm. and also make take longer before you can set your deck up to use it. Yeah. I think Yorick can still exploit it because every time it gets discarded, he can replay it if he kills an enemy. But, you know, that's the best case scenario. And any other investigator, if it ends up in their bin, there's more or less no way to recur this, right? We don't have any neutral recursion apart from the council's coffer. No. um, Or you can cycle. I mean, there's ways. Yeah, you have to cycle your deck and then find it. Yeah, or, or, or get scavenging or something like that. Oh yeah, scavenging return an item asset. Yeah, but okay, that's yeah. Maybe, I, I, maybe we'll see really powerful scavenging decks. Maybe, maybe. maybe. I yeah. think this this is it's still a very powerful card, which you would expect for ten experience. It's literally the most expensive card in terms of experience in the game. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, suitably so, I think. Okay, that's that. That took a little while actually, but I think it was worth going through the list. Yeah. So I want to turn now to a couple of things that Matt wrote to introduce the list. And just to say that I've, I've actually sent Matt some questions about it to find out more about the process that the taboo list was made. And I don't have answers to them yet. I'm hoping we'll get them. So a lot of what I'm going to say is either based on what he said or is based on our own theorizing. So just bear with me on that. So the first thing is that when he introduces the list of taboos, he called it a new feature for experienced players. And he noted that many players enjoy the dramatic shifts in deck building that are enforced by such a list and are seeking an additional challenge. So again, he stresses the fact that it's optional and he makes it clear that it is about adding a challenge. It's not about necessarily fixing problems or fixing problems by making things trickier. And I think that's just worth bearing in mind I suppose it's important because it's easy to go down this route of, oh gosh, the game was broken, thank goodness he's repairing it. And I think the list of taboos isn't saying you need to use this list because otherwise you're going to be experiencing this this broken game system. You can still play without it and that's absolutely fine. But this introduces an element of challenge and optional correction, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think I, I can maybe jump in and say what my first reaction was when we saw the list. Yeah. Which was that I was excited to... Well, I tell you what, actually, Frank, in the episode we recorded right before, I think, this list came out. Mm-hmm. It was certainly not long before. You'd you'd made a statement that in your play, you were going to exclude certain cards from your carpool. Yeah. All of which are included either on the mutated list or the limited list. Yeah, yeah. So you were already imposing a similar restriction on yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I was just—they were all on the forbidden part of the taboo list. I just wasn't wasn't running them. Yeah, I'm done with them. Yeah. So, so in a way, my my reaction was excitement that we get cards back. In a way, yeah. <laughs> I since playing the Dumbwich Legacy the first time, I've not ever played Rex. Mm. So I've gone what nearly two years now without using one of my investigators. Because he was just so good, and he ended up making everyone else feel a bit redundant. Mm. So it was mm. it was like a negative play experience for everyone else. But if I'm limited now in, in how he operates, and if some of those other cards that boosted up his style are limited, like Milan and higher education, suddenly I've got access to those cards again, and I can use them mm. without feeling guilty. Yeah. I think that idea of offering a player license to to go for using those cards I think is a very good one and the list is encouraging you to include cards that some players might not be including anymore like me and it's saying oh actually here's a way of including them that uh, taxes you appropriately that you spend the appropriate amount of experience to use them or they're limited in in another way that to me is 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 very positive I like that a lot Um, my reaction to the list was um I think positive too, and but I think also with a note of caution around how will the community receive it? How will, how does it feel to not be as a person who's come to this game from card gaming? And what, what does this list mean to you? And we certainly asked patrons to tell us what they thought about the taboo list. And it wasn't a flood of positive messages, was it? There was a mixture of feelings about it. I think there was a couple of people in particular whose hesitation came from a place of they don't want uh, a fracture in the community 
mm. or for it to negatively impact on the community. Yeah. Which which is a great place to be coming from. Uh, and honestly, it felt great to say to them, our experience of card games in the past is that won't happen. Uh, it's yeah. probably going to be fine. Everyone will just play and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. I suppose, you know, uh, so like... I'm thinking now of my memories of Netrunner. When I first started playing Netrunner, already online, there was discussion about one particular card being broken and when would they ban that card. That card was Account Siphon. Anyone who played Netrunner knows that card. And uh, it was a really powerful card that really punished the corp and really rewarded the runner if you could set it up. And the idea being that you could play around it as the corporation or you could also... Well, not just play around it, but if you knew it was coming, you could in some way mitigate for that, which I suppose is playing around it. But what happened was that runners got canny enough to just use it whenever they needed it, basically, whatever the cost. And that that then became an unfair position, and it certainly upset some players. So even when I joined that community, and I was never as deep into that community as I am with Arkham, there were these conversations around please ban this card. And at that point, Netrunner didn't have any kind of list to restrict or ban cards. And the very kind of philosophical underpinning of the living card game model is that every card you buy is available to put in decks and you should be able to use your entire collection. It wasn't like the collectible card game model where you're buying lots of packs and some of those cards will be duplicates that you'll never need and you just sell them on eBay or whatever it is you do with those cards. So... There's an intrinsic tension to me between the LCG model, every card you buy you can use, and any kind of list that limits or restricts cards. What's interesting about the list of taboos is it is limiting cards, but that seems to be encouraging players to use them, which I think is, you know, it's striking to me that they haven't used the forbidden portion of the list of taboos on this first iteration. They've said, actually, use these cards. Use Delve Too Deep, but just don't break a scenario by getting 8 of XP for not doing very much. Use Dr. Milan. Don't feel guilty about using Dr. Milan. His power has been curbed to a suitable level. And yeah, I'm I'm pleased about that, I think. I think I've slightly lost my train of thought. But yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at. Oh, that's that's it. Um, Netrunner and community responses. Yes. I think that was always a feature of the Netrunner community, that there were people upset about certain cards. And I've noticed it in Arkham, but I don't think to the same degree. And part of the nature of Arkham that we're not playing competitively means those frustrations are minimised. I'm not going, oh my goodness, I played another, you know, Machete Guardian deck. I can't believe they thrashed me with their Machete. You know, so I don't, there's not the same antagonism, which I think is good. But that then also, I think, can fuel the argument that there's no problems here. And I certainly was someone saying there was problems in my own hopefully polite, hopefully cautious manner, I felt that there were cards that, from my own experience, I didn't want to use anymore. Well, let, let's, in a minute, let's let's move on to those problems. It, mm. I'll say it, it's interesting Interesting you bring up Netrunner. I, I try to avoid it, because <laughs> I realised I was talking about it a lot. Yeah, you bring it up a lot more than I do. You've given me licence to I used to, to I used to. Yeah. I've not done yeah. it for episodes yet. Yeah. But there was a card in Netrunner, which was Desperado, Mm, which yeah yeah, it was a (laughs) criminal console and it gave you a a credit every time you made a run or successfully made a run and it was so similar to milan who gave Mm. gives you a resource every time you investigate as soon as i saw it i was like ah this is the arkham desperado and Mm. i knew at that point it was probably going to be quite powerful (laughs) yeah as it turned out i was right you can rehearse all of those discussions and forum posts that were had about Desperado and about how no other console can compete with it in Criminal and the same thing going on here. Why would you run any other Seeker allies? Which, to be fair, both you and I have done. We've both run Academic Army very happily. We've both run Mr. Rook when he came out. we both run Ellie. So it's not like we are the kind of optimising players who refuse to run any ally because Dr. Milan is so good. Yeah. But nonetheless, we both had to concede that a better way of making our decks would to be put Dr. Milan in. Well, unless you're using Renfield, obviously, but um, <laughs> oh, yeah, who's mercifully escaped the list this time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the tensions is, and I'll, we'll go on to talk about problems in a minute, but one of the tensions that's there is part of the challenge of deck building or part of the fun of deck building, for me personally, is creating the best you can with the tools you've got. Mm-hmm thinking about what would be the best move to make 
in making your deck. And that's how I play the game as well. That I try and we sit and we think before we take a turn, what would be the best use of our actions this turn? Mm. Can we can we spend those actions building our board state? Because that will help us later on in the scenario. Or should we just get on and do stuff? And the same yeah. with deck building. I, I always think, is this card I'm putting in my deck, is it is it making it better? Or am I, you know, maybe I'm putting it in because it's so much fun. I'm not too worried about <laughs> making it better. Yeah. So not using certain cards because they're too good feels, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. This or feeds you're back sitting in... there saying, I need to include all the best cards apart from these ones that are very good because that feels wrong. Yeah. So it's then wrong in itself. If I'm building like a daisy deck and I want to be investigating a lot, it makes sense to put Milan in, you know? Mm-hmm. It, this I like that this makes those decisions. It, for a start, it means I can make those decisions without feeling guilty that I'm using cards that are overpowered. Mm-hmm. But it also, and this comes on to the next point I wanted to make, which is what is a card that is a problem in terms of deck building? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a good, can I read out a quote as well? Yeah, please. This is less rele- directly relevant to Arkham, but it's still a good quote. So I was reading uh, White Dwarf a little, a little while ago, yeah, uh, which is the Games Workshop magazine. And there was a, an interview with Jervis Johnson, who's veteran games designer, uh, worked at the Games Workshop for decades. And he was going through and giving points values. that They relaunched Warhammer recently, so it went from... The Old World, which was um, prophetically named, to the Age of Sigmar, which is the new version of that. And when it launched, none of the units had any points values. So he went through and added up all, you know, had a complicated formula to work out all these points values. And obviously, this will always put some people's noses out of joint. But he made this comment, which I quite liked. As an aside, one thing players often get wrong when they look at points values is thinking that they are too high for units they really want to be able to include in their army. In my experience, this reaction usually means that the points value is spot on, because it is making the player think twice about using the unit and making them consider other options. In other words, if players think a unit is vital, it should cost a lot of points. Mm-hmm. And I think that that it's it's a philosophy on balance. It's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want certain cards to be a staple of a faction, um, no one's you know, crying about, say, emergency cash being overpowered. Yeah. What it does do is that it means you look at a card and you think twice about whether that's the best way to go. So higher education is still a very good card, mm. at, even at eight experience. It's good in the game. It's just whether that eight experience could be better used elsewhere. And you get the same thing with cards like Milan. So Milan is good still, but because he's not so good, I then have to weigh up what's best in that slot. And those are the interesting decisions I think you make as you deck build. Yeah, he ceases to be a black hole at that point, doesn't he? Where any other choice is is less powerful. He's sort of sucking all the choices into himself and actually then opens up thoughts about seeker economy and how you're going to pay for things. And if you don't see him first turn... Is he worth playing later on? Will he pay back? You know, do you remember all those discussions we had about Leo De Luca? And you know, is it worth paying playing Leo De Luca on the penultimate turn? Yeah. If you're going to get you're going to get two extra actions out of him, maybe not. And that so he has an inbuilt the, the well the the flow of a scenario has an inbuilt moderating influence on Leo in the way that it didn't on Doctor Milan. I really yeah. like the Jervis Johnson quote because I think it also touches on those thoughts of the idea that we actually evaluate cards not just based on our play experiences but based on some perceived notion of what's good and what's not and we often don't complain about cards that feel a steal for their xp so like one of the cards on this list that i was very surprised about but i think is completely justifiable is elusive i think elusive is a fantastic card and i haven't checked but i'm pretty sure i've never built a road deck that hasn't taken it and i've even used it as an off-class splash in zoe in uh, jim culver you know it's just a fantastic card two cost fast move anywhere even if you're engaged with enemies get rid of them it's a great card loads of flexibility great yeah. panic, panic button card never really stopped to say hey guys elusive is really strong we shouldn't be <laughs> running it and one of the 
less explicitly stated things about the limited list is that I can still run elusive, but I'm going to have to pay for it now, which also means I can't use it in the first scenario. So if I want to spend four XP on two elusives, which is probably about the value it should be, I'm not going to be able to do that in scenario one. And, you know, you can still play Machete is, I suppose, the same point I'm making. Yeah. But Machete is now that maybe that mid-level weapon that you're upgrading into, the yeah. same as Blackjack 2, the best Guardian weapon. <laughs> Hashtag best Guardian weapon. Yeah, well, r- reverse, rever- yeah. reverse Machete. Yeah, is, so uh, spend 8 XP on two Machetes and two Blackjack 2s. You can hit anything for two damage as yeah. long as you don't have more than two enemies engaged, well, more than one enemy engaged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you're, you're dealing a steady constant two damage at that point with no ammo restrictions which is good it also means then that you know that idea of ammo-less weapons having continual damage it it sort of brings everything slightly more in line because now you look at machete and blackjack 2 and i think wow they're both really good two xp cards and if i look at the zero xp card switchblade bonus damage but you have to succeed by two and you don't get a combat boost and knuckle duster bonus damage but you add retaliate so Mm. the rogue level zero weapons don't add combat and then on the other side on guardian you've got trench knife and what else do you have survival knife they're only giving you smallish combat boosts and no damage yeah apart from it so yeah anyway it's it's just plucked machete out from that warping position that it was in I think uh, the other thing just specifically on elusive is you see that ability to move anywhere uh, really makes some scenarios a cinch yeah there's ones where you've got to get somewhere and then you've got to get out and yeah. then if the rogue just says oh yeah and i'm gone by yeah, the way <laughs> yeah you know? or yeah. um the catacombs you know just the rogue's like out yeah solved so making someone pay for the ability to do that i think that's that's quite good so what i will say is where you've gone is exactly what i was going to say which is that mm. um from Matt's point of view, when he's designing a level zero weapon, he has to consider it amongst all of the other level zero weapons. Mm. And if one of those is far better, how is he ever going to make... He either has to make a card that competes with that or a card mm. that competes with all the other weapons. If all of the weapons suddenly become as good as Machete, then it becomes too easy to keep fighting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So really what this does is it opens out the design space... And this leads us to a nice point, well, two related points. One, my question, what is power creep? Which I hope you can answer me. And two, the idea of good design being uh, horizontal design rather than vertical design. I don't want every cycle of this game to have more and more strong cards. I want every cycle of this game to open out the design space and give me more options. And I feel like we're in probably a golden age at the moment of deck building where there is so much choice about the directions you can take you know i've been trying to build a diana stanley deck and i think there are probably four or five viable different decks for diana stanley at the moment and i don't know which one's better than another so like for instance you could be doing an on the hunt scene of the crime diana or you could be doing a race to six willpower diana with spells or you could be doing you know guardian weapons or you could be doing renfield and doom and blood pact with diana yeah i like this i think this is great that there's such a range of stuff and it would be such a shame if certain cards basically don't get created because or get immediately banished to the binder because they just can't compete with certain staples yeah yeah what's power creep it's a term used in different slightly different ways by different people i think a common understanding of it is as a game progresses certain cards and effects become stronger. Mm. So the most blatant example of power creep would be a card that is always better than another card. Mm-hmm. What you can say is that some cards, although they're not strictly better, they are usually better than other cards. Mm-hmm. Because we've got the experience system in Arkham, it's hard to judge that. But imagine they printed level zero lucky, and then a cycle later, they printed the level two version of Lucky, but at level zero. Fortunate. So it was just, yeah, it was just exactly the same, but better. Jammy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a direct example of power creep. Now, one of the issues with any card game is that as you, especially the living card game format, where 
I don't think we've got any rotation or anything planned for Arkham that was that it has been mooted for other like the competitive card games that cycles will rotate out. Mm. But as you get more cards, you get more interactions and you get more options for doing a particular thing. So decks will get more powerful over time. Mm. And some people use power creep to describe that. This gradual accruing of additional options and a different additional ways of doing a particular thing so you can always find something if you've got more cards you can always find something that's an option to do something that's better for your deck so you reach that point where i'm picturing a sculpture here where you've got this like perfectly carved sculpture because what you've done is you've or, or maybe a you know a lego sculpture where you've carefully chosen the perfect blocks and you've taken things out and picked new ones and new ones yeah. so in the first cycle of the game it's very hard to do that because you're essentially using whatever you can to build your deck based on a fairly limited card pool and now in the fourth cycle of the game you actually have a lot more scope to be really selective and kind of winnow out the chaff you compare those starter decks now to what we consider a functional deck to look like. Yeah. And the, the change is night and day, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Five exactly. or six cards that make the cards. I mean, what, what I'd say is, you know, you don't say, if we had a card which said, you know, we've got emergency cash, gain three resources for an action, mm-hmm. then maybe a card comes out which says, I don't know, gain five resources if your investigator is wearing a hat. And it turns out hats are really expensive, really difficult to put on your investigator. Like, everyone says, well, the hat card, it's not great because you need the hat first, and that's really difficult to set up. So emergency cash is usually better. But after a few cycles, there's loads of hat support, mm-hmm. and suddenly hats are really easy to put on your investigator. And then everyone says, right, well, the hat card, that's just straight up better than cash now because, you know, there's no reason I wouldn't take that with yeah. the, the, the prevalence of hats. Yeah. That's, that's a... A simplistic example of, of what I'm trying to say and what you're trying to say as well, that, you know, we, we can, those limitations in the cards, which make the cards interesting to talk about, mm. eventually they all stack up uh, and you're able to really customize your deck and make it strong. So whether that's power yeah. creep or just rewarding the deeper card pool and deck building, you know, who's to say? Mm. I think there's a fine line between that and power creep. Yeah, and I, th- I think where that becomes a problem is if that style of deck crowds out any other style of deck. So the point where if you're if someone builds a new seeker deck and it runs emergency cash instead of the hat card, you know, um, finely dressed or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> uh, at that point, if everyone's saying, well, this is a objectively less efficient deck because you may as well include the two hat cards and whatever other support which also give you boost to all your stats whatever it is and the hat card that gives you five resources like at that point design space is being limited and deck building space is being necessarily crowded out Um, yeah which i think also is not to say that i don't like the idea of building really good decks i really enjoy building a really tight really functional deck but there's also a warping effect that goes with that that i would like there to be licensed to still try things and explore and experiment and sometimes cards are so good that it feels stupid to do that yeah you know? i mean um, i will say in arkham we do have the built-in ability to to increase the difficulty of the scenario yeah so those people who really want that that you know absolutely perfected deck challenge can step up to hard and expert yeah. whereas the regular joes can just play on standard or even easy um, and they they don't have to to be doing that. If 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 I was at a competitive card gaming event uh, of any sort of game, if I'm just if I've built a deck that's fun and thematic, and I go along to a meeting, I might just get thrashed all night by people who take the game much more seriously than I do. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily yeah. fun for anyone. But in Arkham, you know, we because you're playing against the game, you can still do that. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see as well what experiences of. Uh, playing hard without the list of taboos alike and playing with the list of taboos and not playing hard so standard taboo or hard non-taboo because i feel like the list of taboos is a sort of halfway house it's like standard plus i would say but then you know the last time i played hard i think we took rex and he still 
smashed it. So maybe list of taboos and hard is the way to go. I don't know. There's yeah, there's there's a lot of different inbuilt tools that we maybe don't appreciate or don't vocally appreciate that you can change the difficulties you say also that powerful cards can have XP costs associated to them. And where the list of taboos is slightly different is that those things aren't on the cards themselves. But I like the fact that it's a fairly brief list. Yeah. It seems manageable to, to remember. And some of the changes, as you said, about functional and balance errata, some of them are as close to being a functional errata without actually just errata in the card, you know, like Ace in the Hole, say. So, yeah. Well, um, we've, we've so, rambled on for a while. Yeah, we have, yeah, we should. We <laughs> I've, should. Got, I've got a question to ask you just as to wrap up, Frank. Okay. Uh, are you going to be using the taboo list? Yes, I already am. Yeah. Good answer. And the, the funny thing as well, remember you, I, you mentioned that I'd said about certain cards I wasn't using. Funnily enough, in Think on Your Feet, Finn Edwards, I hadn't bought Streetwise until Scenario 5 or 6. And I had a good chat with someone behind the scenes who was like, well, why wouldn't you buy it? It's such a good card. And my feeling was that the deck I'd built with Lola Santiago and resource generation, I was getting the same stat boosts from Lola. So I was five intellect and five agility. And I was using my resources to buy clues rather than to boost my stats. So I'd already found a way of not needing streetwise in that specific deck. And I really enjoyed that. I felt like, hmm, I don't know many people who are doing this yet in Rogue where they're not buying streetwise straight away. And that that felt positive. And now, slightly mirroring your point, I can still run Streetwise if I want to. It's just more of an investment. And I've probably got to think very carefully about how I want my deck to build into being a Streetwise deck, if that's yeah. what I want to do. So yeah, how about how about you? Will you be tabooing? Yeah, well, I, I am in a campaign that has started since the taboo list came out. Mm. In my blind play of cir- Circles Undone, Circle Undone, uh, I'm using Preston, and I'd already bought Streetwise, mm. and it was such a faff to go back and unpick the experience. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. What I might have to do then is play Preston again using the taboo list because him and Streetwise have got a very intertwined relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in the last we played for the greater good uh, this week, yeah. and. I was very conscious of how good Streetwise is, <laughs> especially <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Preston. So that's maybe a topic for a different time. But I, I'm yeah. using I'm using it from now on. If anything else, I buy in that deck and for the cards that are in it on the mutated list, and for any other campaign I start, I'll be using I'll be using that. Mm. There's one final thing I want to say about the taboo list, which is a point you made to me off air. I think it's Jermaine for Streetwise, which is that lists like these tend to overcompensate and then row back. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think especially... I wouldn't be surprised to see Machete come down to one experience. Mm-hmm. And whether it's it's just a desire from Bat to... to Well, maybe he's just overemphasised it to begin with, or maybe it's a deliberate ploy to push people away from those cards to yeah. make them explore the options before bringing it back in. And I think that's what's happened with Streetwise. If Streetwise was, say, 6 XP total or 5 XP total like Scrapper, the the hierarchy of those permanent talents, higher ed was always head and shoulders above the rest, and it would have been really knocked down and Streetwise would have shot to the top of that pile. So just knocking them both together and saying, steady on. Like, I feel like Streetwise is slightly suffering because of how much higher ed is being taxed. But I think I'm okay with that at the moment. And if it turns out the Streetwise ends up as a 6 XP card and higher ed is still an 8 XP card, I think we're all right. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. Why has Scrapper got 2 XP? Is it to stop Dark Horse abusive plays? Yeah, maybe. Uh, good question. Um, what are the other two? Kenai and... Blood Pact. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, Kenai's not great. <laughs> And Blood Pact already has a limit built into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just those one-for-one boost permanents are just just good. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe they all should have had an additional limitation like, like Key and I did. Mm. I mean, I've said this before. I think if the limit on higher education was six cards, it would instantly become less usable. 
Mm -hmm. Maybe even like seven or eight cards. Yeah. That, I mean, Seekers are happy at, at that number of cards in hand. Yeah. And often what would happen playing higher ed is you wouldn't play any cards anyway, because why bother committing a card when you can keep it for a, a plus two as long as you can spend the resources? You know, that fifth card in your hand is then, even if it's, I don't know, cryptic research or something, bad example, even if it's uh, decipher reality... It's like, well, that will get me lots of clues, but if I hold it in hand, I can steadily use higher ed until I'm up to six cards and then I can spend it. Yeah. So, yeah. It punishes the use of the card early in the game, which I like. Which You're mm. like, well, I need to play these cards to, to help me later, mm. but I can keep them and use higher education now. And that will tide me over. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, right. Cool. Let's not get will will down. you be playing <laughs> Listener with the Taboo list? If so... Are you feeling positive about it? Are you feeling weird about it? We're really happy to read people's responses and we may do another episode when we've had a bit more experience on it. So watch this space. You can email us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. You can become a patron of this cast. We're drawn to the flame on Patreon. You can also buy drawn to the flame t-shirts, mugs, stickers, hoodies. We're on design by humans forward slash shop forward slash drawn to the flame. Search for drawn to the flame on there and you'll find us. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Drawn to the Flame as well. Peter, where can people find you? I'm everywhere as Unitled. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on Reddit. I'm on the Discord. So say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm F-B on Twitter. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the place as Zooey Glass or Zozo. And you can come and see us in person on the 31st of May, the 1st of June and the 2nd of June at the UK Games Expo in Birmingham. We'll be there. Do we need to say any more about it? Maybe not. No, there'll be there's details on our Facebook page, so go and check those out. Yep. And hopefully catch you there for all of the different things we'll be doing. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.